I think one thing that people really miss, especially with this whole um, January 6th insurrection argument that's going on, is the reason that people believe the election wasn't legitimate, the, the reason they believe it was a fraud, isn't because Trump said it was a fraud. It's because the yeah. media lied about everything else. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, social media helped it along, right? You have yeah. Google pushing only news of a certain nature there. I mean, Google is forcing you to believe that, you know, Hillary was a rightful winner and that Russians stole the election. I mean, if, if you went on Google News every single day up until, I would say, 2020, you know, all the news articles every single day were Russia this, Russia that, Russian collusion, and they pushed it to the top. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night and good luck. So, um, yep. I was trying to look up your background a little bit, and um, all I could really find yeah. was a bunch of um, trash articles about Gamergate. Basically, yeah, it's the haters. You know, it's the haters. They're idiots. So, so what's your story like? Uh, um, you have a background in uh, like game reviews and stuff like that. Tell me, tell me a little. Yeah, bit what's about my story. trajectory? Well, my trajectory is 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 interesting, right? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm patting myself on the back here. It's interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I used to be like a, ho- a hobbyist uh, web developer slash you know game fan site type guy i mean i was a kid right i was a kid i was like maybe 16 17 18 whatever making gaming fan sites you know back in the day that was like the thing right i mean unless you worked for like say ign or something which by the way employs people that age uh you're gonna work on a gaming fan site so you know that was my background and then it landed me a position in the game industry where i worked in uh and game publishing for a couple of years right um but then I realized, you know, I mean, this, the, well, the job itself was not that interesting. So I got out of it and I got into publishing online, you know, like blogs, video games, things like that. And this is before YouTube. And this is before I could even afford a camera. So, right. you know, otherwise I'd be like a big YouTuber or something right now. But, right. Um, I made my living doing game reviews and, you know, it, it's like, it's funny. You watch these game journalists weighing in on Palestine and Israel. And I'm like, you guys write reviews for destiny too. You write guides for video games. What are you talking about? You know, you, you don't know a damn thing about politics. Stop it. Right. 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 You just got done dragging an alligator all through the red dead redemption too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's their job, right? Their, their job is very simple. It's just to, you know, to, to play video games and to write about them. It's not that complicated and they right. can't even do that. Right. They got to insert the politics into it. So uh, I got into game reviews and, and, and gaming news. It, you know, I would call it journalism. It's not right. But I was a bit outspoken, you know, like, so during the Gamergate era, I was actually on the side of the anti-Gamergate people. I was on the side of, you know, Anita Sarkeesian, Zoe Quinn, like Zoe Quinn was like a good friend, for example, right? We yeah. were all tight. And, you know, this was like the beginnings of cancel culture, right? And it was clear from the, uh, I would say, maybe not from the onset, because from the onset, you know, you had a bunch of um, random people, you know, like uh, anime avatars, this sort of thing, harassing um female game developers, for example. And, you know, what they did was wrong, but then the game's media, they turned it into this whole narrative about how video gamers are over, you know, like the game companies need to stop catering to straight white males because, you know, they're all sexist and racist. And like, that was not true, clearly. And, you know, I was uh, I was not really concerned about alienating my audience because, you know, I still wrote about video games, but I didn't like what they were doing, what they were saying about 
gamers in general, I mean, about consumers, because they would complain about something. It, it would be like the most nothing topic, right? And then they would turn it into an attack on gamers. For instance, when uh, EA Games, you know, like that, they, they love to sell microtransactions. A lot of people complained about microtransactions and they were right to do so because, I mean, they were milking gamers for all their worth. And this is back in the day when, you know, you release a video game and you've got like 10 instant microtransactions. You've got to pay an extra $500 just to get all the game's content, which right. is really bad, right? People complained about it and the games media came to the defense of the game industry. And I, you know, it's at this point where I realized, okay, these guys, you know, they're, uh, they're just anti-gamer for the sake of, of being anti-gamer. And Gets so clicks. I started writing yeah. op-eds at, uh, at, at Heat Street, which was a News Corp owned site, right? Uh, at first it was op-eds. And then I realized, you know, I don't really like gaming news so much. I mean, it's not super interesting. It's, it's, it's boring, basic stuff. I'd rather talk about politics and, you know, being someone who is a well-read person, I think, I was able to start writing news for them. And that's when I became like a proper journalist, I guess. I don't, I still don't call myself a journalist. I'm more of an opinions guy, right? Right, and right. It, well, so are the yeah. journalists. <laughs> and so are the journalists, yeah. They call themselves journalists, but there's nothing objective about them. I mean, there are obviously real journalists and they get attacked, right? I mean, look at those uh, Daily Caller guys who, uh, uh, who went to all these BLM protests and they, they took video and yeah, yeah, it makes Antifa look bad, makes BLM yeah. look bad. And The Intercept, which are so-called real journalists, write an, uh, a story about how these guys are driving the right-wing movement against BLM. It's like, come on. They're doing journalism. They're not even offering commentary. They're just there, you know? Yeah, and I found that when, um, when I listen to journalists whom I consider to be real journalists, um, I'm not as pissed off uh, when I disagree with them because at least I've, I trust that they've done the intellectual due diligence to, to try to get to the bottom of stuff. So like, I don't always agree with um, uh, Glenn Greenwald, for example, but I really respect them. And so it, it, it's not like frustrating in the same sense as it is when you see um, uh, some white house correspondent, just talking trash for no reason about some issue that they don't know what they're talking about. It's it's. And so I think that we're really lacking in terms of um, uh, where we could be with journalism, especially in the United States. Absolutely. I mean, and this is something I think Tim Poole highlighted years ago where he said something along the lines of how journalists have become activists and uh, they are putting their activism into their journalistic work and on top of that and and this was like the meat the crux of his uh, his argument here is that they're all mentally ill you know they're always complaining about being tired about being fatigued about being you know they're always tired you notice that like they're yeah. all like i'm so tired i'm so tired it's like well maybe take a break then you know i mean <laughs> but they're like unable to take a break because of their emotional labor right they're always uh, they've got issues, they've got alcoholism, you know, they have uh, uh, mental problems, they're, they're suffering from all sorts of, uh, you know, depression and, and so on. And I won't really get into it. But like these guys are putting their mental illnesses, their, their fatigue or whatever, into their articles. And it really shows they're making society ill, right? That's exactly what they're doing. And you can quite see that. I mean, you can see this quite clearly with their coverage of lockdowns, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you have both the New York Times uh, um, lockdown reporter, you know, she covers all of the, the, the whole beat, as well as like, I think the Toronto Sun or something, maybe it was not the Toronto Sun, it was one of the liberal publications in Canada, where you have these two journalists, just, you know, I'm just singling them out. And they're like, crazy they're wearing like three masks one of them was complaining about how she forces her kids to wear masks in the house i mean this is not normal behavior and and they're putting this in their articles their coverage of it is so so slanted 
where they're unable to, to view things objectively and they don't want to. They'll even admit that object, objectivity is like a bad thing. You know, and now you know, with critical race theory, objectivity is white supremacy, right? It's one of the right. 12 facets of it. It's like, what are you guys doing? You know, you're not really journalists, you're activists and you're masquerading as journalists and you're winning awards for it because you're activists. And, you know, the whole Pulitzer Council has been completely taken over, much like everything else with all these woke people who will, you know, pat each other on the back for promoting social justice, right? They think it's their yeah. duty. It's, 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 uh, it's white guilt or white saviorism 2.0 is what it is. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think another aspect of it too, of course, is the medium has changed so much. Uh, you know, 50 years ago, if you wanted to be a journalist, there was only so much real estate on a newspaper. So they had to edit and select the stuff that they wanted to publish. But now, since it's all click oriented for ad revenue, um, and there's, there's infinite medium to publish on, people just throw stuff out constantly to try to see what's going to go viral. So you just have this whole rash of shit, basically, that gets published constantly when, uh, you know, back in the day, there was just a few pages in a newspaper. And so the editors could put the, the right content out. Basically, I mean, I don't know if you know this website called Mike.com, right? It was um, funded by all these Harvard grads. You know, they, they, they just threw their money into it to, to be like uh, activist at journalism. And their writers were complaining about it. This was when it was shutting down. You know, I think they, they haven't really shut down, shut down. But back when they were firing everybody, you know, there, there was like some leaked memos and stuff that came out, some leaked emails. And it was all these, uh, I would say, woke journalists who went to work there thinking they could promote their woke stuff. And the editors were like, oh, we don't want you to write good news. We don't want you to cover, you know, uh, some story about just a propaganda minority. Bill. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're like, oh, we're not interested in your story about how some uh, some black uh, business owner uh, created like a rooftop business and he's making a lot of money in Colorado. Like, we're not interested in these good stories. We're only interested if he is if he has like faced racial discrimination. Did you talk to him? Did he face any racists? It's like. And, 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 and even these woke people didn't want to write about it. And yet they were forced to by their editors because the editors are still looking at the money, right? They're looking at the clicks and they see that, well, you know, a story, a, a feel good story about a black man opening a business is not exactly going to get any traffic. But if yeah. a black man opening a business gets uh, faced down by a, a guy in a white hood, then maybe, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. And well, we saw a lot of that with this, this last campaign in particular, um, too, just the incessant push. Uh, for Biden. Um, it was, it was so obvious. And I, you know, I used to, I always knew that the, the media was um, less than outstanding, but yep. it wasn't until Trump won in 2016. It was election night. I distinctly remember it because um, I was working on another campaign at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. When he won, I was like, holy shit, they lied. Cause I thought Hillary was going to win for sure. Cause all the polls we hadn't had the, an election before where, where it was, it was so exaggerated what the outcome was going to be. And it was yep. the margin of error was such that they didn't just make a mistake. Like they knew that the polls weren't accurate and they've been lying the whole time. So ever since then, it's been really hard for me to trust media. And I think one thing that people really miss, especially with this whole um, January 6th insurrection argument that's going on is the reason mm -hmm. that people believe the election wasn't legitimate the, the, the reason they believe it was a fraud is it because Trump said it was a fraud. It's because the yeah. media lied about everything else. Exactly. <laughs> so and, it's and like, social media helped it along, right? You have yeah. Google pushing only news of a certain nature there. I mean, Google is forcing you to believe that, you know, Hillary was a rightful winner and that Russians stole the election. I mean, if, if you went on Google News every single day up until, I would say, 2020, you know, 
all the news articles every single day were Russia this, Russia that, Russian collusion, and they pushed it to the top. I mean, that this is to delegitimize Trump, right? That that's exactly what they did, and 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 now we know clearly that the Russian collusion thing never happened. There was no such thing, and yet they're still going at it because they got got to maintain that big lie, right? They love using the term big lie because Hitler said it sometime ago, you know. And it's like, yeah. well, you guys are the ones pushing it, and it's this is all projection, and you realize that, and somehow. You're saying Trump is guilty of it. Well, you know, he he may be misled into thinking that, you know, that he won the election. I don't think he he did. I think that there were some er erroneous uh, um, counts here and there. And that's why we're doing audits now in like in Arizona. And I think that should be done, you know, completely. It'll be interesting to see what what the outcome of that is. But, you know, beyond that, I think it's when people say that the election was a fraud or something, they're not even necessarily talking about. Uh, voting machines or or Linwood or, or anything like that. They're just talking about how the media lied to people, and you know they made the coronavirus seem a lot worse than it actually they was. They covered up Hunter Biden. They did. Yep. They, they yeah. censored people. You know, this is what people are really talking about, right? And yeah. It's not the conspiracy stuff. You know, people are not. Most people are not. You know, going to go to eight uh, chan or four chan or something to to read conspiracy theories. They're not going to regurgitate that. Normal, sane people who are seeing, you know, who are seeing uh, 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 the, the media pulling wool over their eyes and telling them that this is what reality is as well. It's not, you know, it's not. Yeah, and I, I kind of came to the same conclusion. I don't think that the, I don't think that there was an overwhelming amount of actual cheating in the election. There might have been some. I'm sure there always is, sure. there always and, is and yeah. from both sides. Uh, but I do think it was unbelievably cheap the way the Democrats won by changing yep. all the rules and using COVID as the excuse to do it. It's like, if you're playing a game of monopoly with your friends, you can't just change the rules in the middle of the game. Like I, I don't yeah. like, I don't like the idea of changing election laws and rules in the middle of an election. Like it seems like that should be something that mm -hmm. should only be pushed forward to another cycle. And I know that it was a national yep. emergency, but they knew when they mailed out ballots, what that was yep. going to mean. And they knew, and none of the Republicans at the state level or the federal level level really had the balls to, to say mm -hmm. anything about it. And that, that was sort of the beginning of my disenfran disenfranchisement of the, yep. um, uh, with the, with the GOP. Cause you know, I don't consider myself a Republican, but mm -hmm. I do always vote for Republicans. <laughs> so sure, other, yeah. People, yeah. other people would consider me one, but I, right. I'm just so pissed off at, um, uh, how, how, um, weak all the leadership was in, in, in handling the situation. There was just like a handful of people who were trying to handle it, like David Schaefer. He's a, a Georgia Republican, right? He was doing a great yeah. job, but mm -hmm. you know his, his voice falls in deaf ears, right? I mean, he, he, Brad Raffensperger doesn't necessarily uh, listen to him, right? That this is this is the issue, right? They don't take these things seriously until it is like way too late. It's like the same thing with critical race theory. Like right now, Christopher Rufo is doing an amazing job, right? He's exposing yeah. critical race theory, yeah. but it still doesn't go far enough because you know even after they implement these laws those teachers are still going to be teaching their alternate uh, alternative uh, education streams. They're still going to be doing that to students. And that is the next step, right? After this legislation is put into place, you got to do more than that. We can't just say, oh yeah, it's the law, it's done, it's illegal, blah, blah, blah. I mean, uh, castrating your child is illegal in, in Michigan. And yet, you know, a, a small group of people still do it because it's part of their religion, right? So, you know, like it doesn't matter if it's the law, if it's not enforced, then it's useless. Right. 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 It's, it's funny. Cause I was reading about, um, the, uh, revolutionary war on Wikipedia. I spend like hours on Wikipedia when I'm trying to fall asleep. It's, fun. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. And, um, I went down the federal reserve banking, uh, <laughs> rabbit hole. And that was, that was like six hours. My wife wanted to kill me, but, um, yeah. it's funny because, uh, I was reading about the legality of the revolutionary war 
And um, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I thought it was so cool because it, it, there was a passage on, on Wikipedia where it said uh, scholars have determined that the legality of the Revolutionary War was deemed irrelevant the moment we won. <laughs> you know? I was like, that is so badass. It's like, yeah, yeah. maybe it was, I mean, so it this is all George's, but if you, if you, if it's not enforced or the law is not enforceable, then it's no longer, yep. it's irrelevant. It's no longer the law. Exactly. And th- that should be our goal, right? We should not be clinging to the letter of the law. I mean, we should be winning, right? We should be focused on winning. And this is what I liked about Trump. This is what I loved about Trump is that, and, and DeSantis at this point, right? He's focused on winning. He's not focused on the irrelevancies of, you know, what's going to happen if they take it to court. Like, this is why I support, say, DeSantis over, say, someone like Christy Noem, because DeSantis just straight up bans CRT, straight up lifts the mask mandate, straight up bans uh, putting, um, you know, uh, transgender people in girls' sports, right? He just straight up banned it. He didn't think about the law, nothing, right? He didn't think, oh, you know, like the, the NCAA is going to sue me. He didn't think about that. Whereas Christy Noem is like, well, you know, we're a small state. We're just South Dakota. We don't have the money to fight the NCAA. It's like, yeah, you do. When they sue you, your people will come to your defense and they will back you up. They will support any effort to preserve the sanctity of girls' sports, right? And th- that's what people will do. You just need to ask for help. And she was like, you know, just caught up in the whole, oh, it's, uh, it, it, the legality of it is questionable. It might go to the Supreme Court. It's like, maybe think about that later. Worry about this now, you know? Right, right. So what do you think the outcome of all this is going to be? How do you think this is going to play out over the next decade? Um, well, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, the majority of people, you know, in America or even on the planet oppose the wokeness, right? Uh, they did a poll recently in the UK, mind you. They asked people, are you woke? And the majority, it was like 57% of people said, I don't know what wokeness is. <laughs> and the, the, the others were like, it was something like 30% said, I, I'm not woke. And then right. only like 14% said, I'm woke. So they're a small minority of people. You know, it's like one out of 10 people is woke, right? Well, and and that's people, online people. People yeah. forget that only like one in five American adults even uses Twitter. So when something's trending on Twitter, 80% of America doesn't give a shit. <laughs> like, yep. Exactly, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not like, it's not, um, it's not a good focus group for these politicians and they're totally allowing themselves to be guided by it. Cause that's just yep. the psychological reaction to the endorphins, I guess, that you get from, from posting viral shit. I mean, you, when you have Rush Limbaugh show and he has more listeners, I'm talking dozens of millions of people listening to him, you know, when he was alive, right back in the day. Mm-hmm he had a larger audience than any of these people on Twitter, right? They may get 100,000 retweets. It doesn't matter. You know, Rush Limbaugh is getting millions and millions and millions of people who agree with them, right? So yeah. this is the, the bulk of America does not agree with what is on Twitter. They don't agree with all the, the woke culture, what's put on MTV, what's put on uh, NBC or CBS or, or Netflix or anything like that. They don't agree with it. And that's why, you know, like the NBA, for example, is uh, declining in viewership. I mean, it's got some of the lowest ratings ever. And it's not because of the pandemic, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. I was thinking about this last week. I'd be interested to know what you think. Um, you know, the, the Republican Party sort of has a reputation for being um, old, cantankerous um, white dudes. And I think that's a false representation. I think what's happening is those are the only Republicans that feel like they can tweet because they're retired. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. everyone else is worried about losing their jobs. So you have, they are. Uh, you know, and the only reason I'm so diligent um, about uh, what I think on Twitter is because I'm self-employed. So nobody can fire me. 
you know? Right. It, it, yeah. But if I had a job, I my Twitter would be, be worried about I'd it. I'd be the, yeah, I'd have the eggshell profile <laughs> from forever yeah. ago. And I would just be, I'd be following you and maybe seek, maybe liking tweets every once in a while. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing for a lot of people, right? And I just wish that they would all speak out at once, you know? It's not going to happen, but spite cream, yeah. right? That everybody just speaks up and is like, we reject cancel culture. We reject wokeness. That's yeah. never going to happen because people are cowards, you know, and they have to deal with the realities of losing their job. But it'd be nice if they did that, you know, if, you know, so unfortunately it's, it's up to people like us, I guess, you know, who are able to say these things, who are able to speak out loud and say the quiet part out loud uh, that, you know, that emboldens them, right? Hopefully that's, what's happening hopefully we are you know moving the um the the overton window to make these conversations possible you know with podcasts like this for example Mm -hmm. or what we just say on twitter we're made we're showing people that it is possible it's okay to say certain things that you should not be canceled over it and shouldn't you shouldn't worry about it because most people agree with you anyway yeah and i and i think another one of the uh, major struggles that um that our side of the spectrum has sort of politically is we're in an environment where the opposition is able to totally frame the narrative and brand us because yep. the, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not a Republican, but I refer to, you know, I use the word we and us a lot when I speak yeah. about Republicans. Obviously. Um, yeah. It just, right. It right. Simple. Yeah. So, so um, I wish that we, the party would figure out a way to just kick ass in branding. And I feel like the Democrats, as much as I despise the vast majority of their candidates, they always do a badass job with branding, not necessarily for a whole campaign, but there's always moments of brilliant branding within a campaign. So for example, Elizabeth Warren wound up being a disaster, but she was hot for a second before she, she, before it went straight to hell after the DNA test. Right. So, and and they're so, (laughs) they're so good at, at, um, uh, at first impressions, they're just so bad at lasting policy. <laughs> yeah, like look at Beto, right? Beto's another great example where, you know, he comes out swinging against Ted Cruz. You know, he's a tall, lanky guy who, you know, uh, is very much an ally to the to the Mexicans or, or whatever, right? And yeah. and he's everybody's like, wow, look at this guy. He's like a woke warrior. You know, we yeah. want him because, you know, they're progressives, right? Anthony Weiner, same thing. Same thing, right? Yeah, and now it's like, well, they're a bunch of losers is, is really what they are. Same, same thing with... Um, uh, booty, uh, booty judge, right? I mean, he comes out swinging. He's like a smart, well-spoken individual. You know, he, he's handling himself really well during the debates. He's crushing the opposition. He's like the first smart guy on the stage. Oh my God, he knows the policies. And now right. you listen to him and it's like, well, he's an idiot. He's, he's like, idiot. he's fake riding his bike. <laughs> yeah. like, what is he doing? Did yeah. you know that and, his and, net worth was only a hundred grand when he ran for president? That's not a lot. Yeah. I know, not for a presidential candidate, is it? No. But in America, yeah. the average 30-year-old has a net worth of seven grand. Wow. Yeah. I know. I know. So I'm like, so Ouch. this inflation thing is going to be a major problem. Yeah, people are talking like openly and honestly about putting UBI and I'm like, who's going to pay for it? You want the rich people to pay for it? Do you realize there's such a thing as capital flight? They can just leave. Yeah. Rich people well, can just leave. They'll go here's, to Barbados. Here's the thing though. They don't even have to, they won't even raise taxes to fund it. They'll just sell bonds to the Fed to pay for it. Yeah. So they'll just, Which is they'll even just worse. yeah, they'll increase the debt and then the Fed will print money to buy the bonds and that devalues the currency. Yep. So yeah, you might get your universal basic income, but your money's not going to be worth mm-hmm. anything. So you're in the same exact situation. Yep. That's why all these, all these leftist politicians, they're talking about increases in minimum wage, UBI, all these benefits, all they're doing is exploiting a problem and yep. then offering a solution that seems to help, but actually makes the problem worse. So they don't have yep. to change their platform when they run for reelection. 
Absolutely not. They'll just blame Republicans again. They'll say, oh, you know, this is because we're not taxing people high enough. That's yeah. why. Yeah, you're not poor because Elon Musk money. is rich. No one's poor yeah. because Elon Musk is rich, except for maybe no. the except for maybe the Ford executives. Yeah. <laughs> who, are, who are rich anyway. <laughs> They're rich anyway. Yeah. They're right. just not as rich as they could be because of Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think it's about a, Elon and all this, um, this, this Bitcoin stuff that's been going on the past couple of weeks? I think that the, that people him, I mean, they, they depend too much on his opinions. I don't think yeah. he's at fault for calling out Bitcoin. Bitcoin does use way too much electricity, right? It yeah. just does. Coal mines in, in, in China are powering Bitcoin. That's a problem. Right. That means that the majority of Bitcoin is controlled by the Chinese, right? They're the ones mining it. Same right. with Ethereum, right? And Do that, you think they banned it today in order to, in order to, to uh, um, buy back, buy the drop? Um, no, they've always banned it. That's the okay. thing. That's, I didn't, like, I don't, not I'm not very obvious. educated on, on Yeah, like a lot of people it. are saying, oh, they, they just banned it today. Oh my God, China's clamping down on Bitcoin. It's like, no, the, the law has already been in place since like 2017. It's been okay. around a while. They're okay. just reiterating because, you know, they're financial institutions. They may be thinking, oh, we're going to get into Bitcoin. We see that it's going up and up and up. So maybe we're going to try to get into it. You know, like, and so China has to put a foot down and be like, well, you're not going to, de- you're not going to devalue the yuan by tying it to Bitcoin. That's like a horrible idea. So they don't right. want the financial institution institutions to do that. And likewise, I don't think banks should be getting into it because it's supposed to be decentralized finance. When you have big banks getting into it, what they're doing is they're tying the US dollar directly to the Bitcoin. And that's not a great idea because it's a volatile market, right? Uh, Like in the long run, maybe that might make sense, right? Because uh, um, decentralized finance is going to be the future, especially the rise of Africa. That's where, you know, Cardano comes in because they're dealing with these African governments who don't really have stable currencies to begin with. And they're saying, hey, Cardano is a great alternative and it, you know, it's better, it's safe, right? So that's one thing. But in general, I think China said what it said, you know, just to reiterate its, its position. But also, yeah, I mean, there's no reason why, you know, like a bunch of Chinese people are not going to just necessarily buy up the Bitcoin when it's low. Of course they will. They're billionaires. Right. They're going right. to do that, right? Right, yeah. but it's not necessarily a coordinated CCP effort. It's, it's just sort no. of a, okay, it's the invisible hand. Yeah, it's the invisible hand of the market, you know, just realigning itself. And I mean, to be honest, it went way up way too fast. I mean, within a span of what, like two weeks, three weeks, it went from $40,000 to $60,000. I mean, yeah. come on, that's well, not realistic. And a lot of that was just due to, to um, uh, memes. Tesla. Well, memes and Tesla announcing that yep. they were going to, you know, accept. But I just thought it was, I, th- I think it's really interesting and I can't quite figure out why Tesla was all in. And then within two weeks, they pivoted it away. You, you'd think that they would have had that sort of anticipation that they were going to change yeah. their mind about an issue like that. I and mean, it's not like they didn't know that it was a major drain on the ener- energy sector when they bought well, it. Here's the thing. I mean, if you read Elon Musk's full message, and this is something yeah. that a lot of people have just ignored. They only saw the headlines. You know, they're like, oh, Elon's pulling out a Bitcoin. If you read it, he said, he said that we're not giving up on crypto. We believe the future is in cryptocurrency. Yeah, we're just did. not sure it is Bitcoin because Bitcoin is expensive. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a useless currency. I mean, all you do is trade with it. You don't really do anything else with it. Whereas you look at something like, uh, like, uh, like Cardano or Ethereum, you can put contracts in there. You can put smart yeah. contracts. You can build you software can on it. it. You can build software on it. Exactly. Ethereum, it does have a, a, like a, a, an app uh, market space, right? It, it yeah. does exist. So Bitcoin doesn't have such a thing like that. I mean, you're, if you're using the Bitcoin network, you are you know, using way too much electricity costs way too much to run. And, you know, like say what you will about climate change or whatever, but pollution is a real issue, right? Sure. And, and using electricity that is just not efficient. I mean, why would you do that? It's like using LED lights, which, you know, run on less than one watt 
compared to something from say 50 years ago, those, yeah. those, those light bulbs. The, but the incandescent bulbs watts. are so pretty. <laughs> yeah, they're so pretty, they're so bright, but it's 50 watts. That's like, you, you know, you're, you're watching your TV and you're playing a PlayStation 4. It uses less electricity than an incandescent light bulb. Think about it. I didn't that. realize that, that's wild. Yeah, right, and I'm talking OLED TVs. They're not running at more than 50, you know, they're running at like 20 or something. Plus the PlayStation 4, that's running about 30. So altogether, it's like 50, and that's only on high load. I mean, if you just keep it on or you just watch Netflix, you're not using much electricity. Whereas you put the incandescent light bulb on for like, you know, two hours and boom, you've already like spent your whole day's worth of, of, of watching TV. It's terrible. Wow. It's the same that's... thing with Bitcoin, you know? Like the, the transfer rates are slow. It's expensive. It uses so much electricity. You compare that to something newer, like, uh, you know, I keep mentioning Cardano because I believe in it, but it uses less than 0.01% of the electricity uh, to transfer money. You're not going to, you know, it's not going to cost a lot to just transfer money to somebody else. And that's what makes something like that. And there's like a few others, you know, there's Link, there's, uh, there's Nano and so on. And, and all these, you know, they don't use much electricity because they're built on being sustainable, right? And Bitcoin is not. Bitcoin was kind of an experiment, right? It was like a, right. a thought experiment and it just somehow took off. Yeah. Who do you think Satoshi is? Satoshi is, I mean, probably is who he says he is. I mean, I'm not, I don't think it really matters. I think yeah, the whole I just idea, think it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously it doesn't matter. Bitcoin's Bitcoin with or without Bitcoin's Satoshi, Bitcoin, but it's, yeah, it's just fascinating. It's this, yeah. this, you know, anonymous, mysterious, brilliant person changed the world, you know, with a post, yeah. with a white I mean, paper. It could, it could very well be, you know, Charles Hoskinson, right? It, it, the guy who created Ethereum, right? It could be him, yeah. it could be better like Buterin. Like they, it may have been like a whole group of people who created this enigmatic Japanese programmer, right? And, and put out right. this white paper as a group and then decided that, okay, it works, you know? And now we're going to go our own separate ways and do our own thing, you know? And that's where Ethereum came in, right? I mean, we don't know, right? I mean, but it makes sense that they'd want to use someone enigmatic. And what is more cyberpunk than Japan, honestly? Like I know. Satoshi, like I know. old Japanese gentleman, like, really? Like, no, I mean, it's going to be a guy in his 20s or 30s, you know? There's no way it's like some 60-year-old Japanese programmer. Bullshit. Speaking of the cyberpunk, did you watch uh, Altered Carbon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched the first season. The second season I didn't watch, but I, heard I didn't it watch the second. Good. I didn't watch the second season for that very reason, but I thought the first season was so awesome. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Like, yeah. I read the books. I love the books, right? The ones by Richard Morgan, the fantastic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff cut out. Like it's very anti-religious, like the books. Well, I mean, author... even Canticle of Leibowitz is sort of anti-religious. That's like one of the first, yeah. one of the most famous sci-fi novels ever. Um, right. Yeah. And it, a thread. It's not even in the, uh, the, the show, right? I mean, it's like barely in there, right? Like they right. don't talk about the, 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 the long beards or whatever they're called. Basically, they're like a combination of Muslims and Christians and Jews, right? right. And they're like, maybe not Jews, but Muslims and Christians, like super hardcore fundamentalists who, you know, hate, who hate life itself, basically. Right? Yeah. They, they want to kill people who have the stacks in them. Yeah, like they don't put them in the, in, the, in the show at all. I mean, you have the Catholics who are like objecting to it, but the Catholics were in the book and they were not like bad people or anything like that. It was just more of like the more hardcore version of them that it's, it's just not even in the show, which, you know, unfortunate yeah. because there's like a buildup to it in the, uh, in the books, you know, in the third one, it's like, they're the main bad guys. Yeah. I'll have to read that. I'll have to read those. I haven't read them. I'd, I'd love to read those. My wife and I have been, uh, are fans of Handmaid's Tale. Um, despite how, uh, despite how cliche it is to be a fan of Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I love anything post-apocalyptic. Uh, yeah, even, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, it's funny to me because when I was watching it for the first time, when the first season came out, I thought, man, this is basically the left's vision of what a Christian Sharia law yep. would look like. 
It's like, is this what yeah. everybody who isn't Christian thinks Christianity wants? Like, that's what know? they think. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like maybe maybe that's like a handful of people want that. You know, those trap calf zoomer uh, uh, based red pill types, right? But they're teenagers. Right. I don't care what they yeah. think. You yeah. Know? Like they their opinions don't matter. They're incels. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. Yeah. And they, they openly say it. They're like, oh, I'm an incel. It's like, yeah, yeah, we know, you know, like we know. We why, know would you, why would you brag about that? It's just a funny thing. Okay. So like the whole trad calf zoomer culture, whatever it's called, right. Yeah. Uh, it, it comes from incel forums and, and, you know, incels are basically just mad at the world because they can't get late. Right. They, they've never had a female friend in their life. So they don't know right. what women are actually like. And so they develop this hatred of women. Now, it's metastasized into incels into vol cells. So they're like voluntarily celibate, you know, no oh, like, the, like the MGTOW guys, like the men going their own way guys. Exactly like them. Yeah. Like it's, they're like a younger version of them, right? The MGTOWs, you know, they originally, they started as just divorced dads who just pissed off at the dating scene. Right. And then eventually just started to hate women. Uh, and now they're men going their own way. It's like, well, you guys are, you know, you're, you're just playing victim. And, and yeah. so it's, it's sort of like the, the whole, Tradcap Zoomer thing, it's like an inversion of incels, right? They're still incels, but they're reclaiming it. They're saying, oh, no, we choose to be incels, right? That's what they're doing. And it's just, it's like, well, you're so, it, I think it's a supply and demand trick. They think if they take yeah. away the supply, the demand will go up, but it's like, no, no, no there's no, still a lot of supply. Nobody wants you. Not, yeah, nobody wants you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants you. you know, we're not, no one's interested in you. And, you know, obviously you have like the little pick me girls, you know, who, who show up and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a trad wife. It's like, really? You're, you're not. <laughs> you have well, only fans. What are you talking about? In their defense, in, in the, uh, the uh, Valsel, voluntary celibate, is that what it, the group's? Yeah, voluntary. Yeah, in, their, in their defense, yeah. it would be incredibly difficult to date women today. Like, I, I feel so grateful that I'm married. Because yeah. I can't imagine um, like going up and approaching women in a public environment. You can't hit on anybody you work with. You never know, like, right? You run into a feminist yeah, and you're yeah, like, oh, crap. It's like, listen, I just stare raped her. Oops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. So, I, I guess with the dating apps, it's a little bit easier because there's sort of like that mutual consent understand and interaction never happens. But imagine if dating yeah. apps didn't exist and we still had this culture around sexual dynamics between men and women. Like, I feel like no dudes would be getting laid except for like yep. one or two just with all of them, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah, yeah. You know what I noticed is that there's like a rise now in arranged uh, relationships, you know? Arranged like, by like who? Right. Uh, by, you know, uh, in between people, you know, like yeah, uh, matchmakers, yeah, yeah right? Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're basically saying, okay, so you don't want to do the dating scene and you just want to find somebody like, and this is for like people in the 30s, you know? Like, I don't think right. you really see people in the 20s doing this, but people in the 30s are like, well, I'm successful. I have a job. I have a big house. I have a car, blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking for someone to settle down with. Right. And, yeah. and they got to, you know, have a certain education or whatever. And, and people are putting out personals on Twitter. I've seen it. Right. Men and women are buying into this because they get into that point where they want to settle down. They want to have a family, but they don't want to go to the uh, rigmarole of, of having to play the whole dating thing because, you, you know, you never know who you land up with. Right. You, you, you wind up with somebody who is crazy, just wants your money, who is a gold digger or just wants to play around. You know, I mean, maybe that's not what you want. Right. So right. Uh, they're going through these matchmaking services or true people who are, or just putting their personals out there and then auditioning people, you know, which is, I find that really fascinating. And, and, you know, maybe there's like a, 
a truth to arranged marriages because it's even going that far. They're talking about arranged marriages now. And it's like, well, maybe that's not such a bad thing. I mean, we, we think of, we tend to think of arranged marriages as, as, uh, as, uh, you know, archaic, right? It's like, oh, you're forcing people to marry each other and they're young and they don't know how to make their own decisions. Well, that's true. Maybe for, for like Indian culture, you know, like where they, they, they hoist two teenagers on each other and that's not fair to either party, I think. Right. Um, no. But with adults, I mean, why not? You know, I mean, you, you both know what you want. You both have careers or maybe you don't want to have a career. Maybe you want to be a housewife, you know, and that's what you're putting out there. You're not doing any false advertising and you're looking for a guy who wants that in his life. So maybe that's such a bad thing. So, you know, I, I, I think that the market will evolve. It is evolving, obviously, because this whole, you know, let's date everybody on Tinder and let's uh, fuck around and have sex. It's not really working out for a lot of people. I mean, you look at all these uh, sex positive feminists in the, like 20. 10, 2012, 2013, uh, they were all writing about how a woman's only worth in life is how much uh, dick she gets. You know, I mean, that's, this is what they were putting out there. They're saying that a woman, you know, if she's in her prime, in her 20s, she should be, she should be sleeping with any, everybody and anybody. She should not have a, any sort of solid, stable relationships with anyone. And obviously, this is a lot of projection. They're unwilling to commit. That's why they put out these articles, right? They are yeah. afraid of commitment. So they're giving bad advice to other young women who just don't know what they're doing. And obviously, it's created a lot of sad, lonely, miserable people. I mean, these writers now, many of them have written, I'm sure you've seen the Jessica Valenti piece, you know, where she used to complain about being catcalled and now she wishes she was still catcalled you know that yeah. it, and and that's a tip of the iceberg stuff and and her complaint i understand a lot of women feel that way you know it's so she's not like lying about it but then you have these other more extreme women like uh, you know who are sex gurus or something in the 20s when they were in their 20s who are now tweeting or posting articles about how depressed they are how they can't find a man how no man even trusts them how they they can't find a suitable husband how everybody who they date you know sees them for their previous work and judges them as someone to just sleep around with and not settle down with i mean right it's it's this is the bit they've made for themselves and they're getting fucked in it you know well we're having a there, there's socioeconomic um causes to this too i think i was talking with um, a close friend of mine uh ryan turberville um uh a couple of uh, last week and we were trying yeah. to figure out what happened in the um african-american community in the united states because you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, it was, you know, nuclear family unit, very Christian values. And yep. I thought, man, I, I wonder if what happened was these communities were making ends meet, but barely. And mm -hmm. then when we had the hyperinflation in the 70s, and we went off the gold standard, and they weren't making any more money, but the money they had was worth less and less that put them over the threshold to having to turn to crime or alternatives or having to work extra jobs. So they're not home with their kids, you know, raising their kids, uh, um, yep. spending quality time. And I think that what's happening in America today, uh, regardless of what demographic you're in, um, is a lot of men aren't independent until they're 30. Yep. And it's like, that's why we're not adults until we're 30. It's because you can't make a living. Like, you used to be able to graduate high school or drop out of high school, get a job mm -hmm. as a plumber or an electrical apprentice, and you could feed a family of four and own your house. Yeah. Now you got to have roommates till you're like 30, unless you're kicking ass and yep. you're, you're, you're just saddled with, with all this uh, college debt. So I think that part of the problem that we have this, this like terrible dating dynamic and, and commitment dynamic in our culture is that nobody can afford to be, nobody can afford to be uh, mm -hmm. uh, what it takes to be a, a desirable mate. Exactly. And, and this, you know, <clears throat> feminists don't like hearing this because it's their fault. Uh, 
the reason why the market is the way it is, why, you know, both men and women are devalued in the marketplace, you know, like they're worth half as much as they used to be is because there's 50% more, no, not 50%, hundred percent more people yeah. working, right? hundred yeah. percent more people working there. So their value is halved, right? So unless you're like a highly skilled worker who can, you know, like an artist who is successful, for example, or a writer who's successful, an engineer, something that takes skill, right? Yeah. Unless you're one of these things, you're not going to get a job, right? Or you're not going to get a job that pays you double, right? Because you are only about as valuable as the person next to you, right? If you're stocking shelves at, a, at Walmart or something, anybody can do that. You know, a, a guy of 50, you know, 50 IQ could do it. So like these are the people you're competing against. You know, it's things like the ADA. It's things like putting women in the workforce. And now keep in mind, I'm not saying we need to repeal the 19th, that we need to put women back in chains and <laughs> put them back in the kitchen. Of course not. Of course not. not Nobody realistic. says that. It's right. stupid. Only stupid people say that, right? Or right. they're being ironic or something. That's not realistic. But we have to adopt, adapt the, um, the economy to cater to this 100% more people. And that's not being helped by mass immigration, right? There's a reason why uh, countries like, for instance, Australia or Denmark are fine. You know, they don't even have minimum wage. They have really good killer wages. And both right. men and women are working. And the women, you know... Most many of them choose to remain home. They remain, uh, you know, homemakers, which is interesting, right? It, despite the fact that they are completely, you know, I would say uh, it's like a gender-neutral uh, environment, right? They, they don't have any sexism in their workplace, unlike America or or the UK. So it's very interesting to see how you know women are actually reverting back to traditional roles because they realize that the men can afford to earn a living. So that's actually a really good thing, right? This is what we need to see more. But the only way they manage to accomplish that is by clamping down on mass immigration. You can't have, you know, millions of people pouring in every single year, taking these low-wage jobs and then taking the jobs above that because, you know, they obviously are trained and they get those same skills that you would, right? So it works in Denmark, doesn't work anywhere else. I mean, it works in Japan, doesn't work anywhere else because, again, mass immigration, that's like the big issue. Well, and I think um, culturally, and in part, this is probably caused by just changing economics, but I don't understand why we refer to 25-year-olds as kids today. And whenever, yeah. whenever anybody's like, oh, that poor kid, this poor kid, or this person's a victim, or they couldn't make the decision about whatever, I just think about the, adults. the, I think about the 18-year-olds that stormed the beach in Normandy. And I always, I tweet this a lot. I'm like, girls even. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. if you're old enough to storm the beach in Normandy, you're old enough to figure out it, how to do your tax return. Right. Or, yeah, it's not that hard. And I just wish that, and I, I think this is in part a problem with our educational system. We waste so much time K through 12. I mean, if yeah. we just eliminated summer breaks, you could have a bachelor's degree by the time you graduated from high school. Yeah. And you this know, is I, how things were back in the day. You know, I mean, like people like Isaac Newton, or maybe not Isaac Newton, but like people in that era, were graduating and going into college by the time they were like 14. You know, this was like average, like those really right. smart kids. They'd be in college by the time they're 14. You don't see this anymore, you know? Now it's like, yeah. oh, we do the K-12 thing. They're going to be 18 years old. It's like, why? You're wasting right. four years of their formative years where their brains are developing, you know? Well, and the quality of, of the education is something to consider too, because if you, if you had a 19th century bachelor's degree, you could read and write in Latin. <laughs> yep. you, and, you know and that, that was like languages pre, that was like a prereq you know and yeah. uh um, i had a close friend in uh in college who was a philosophy major brilliant guy and mm -hmm. he flew to um greece for a summer um sort of internship program when we were in college between semesters and he came back and he could read and write ancient greek he did like this intense philosophy program it was for philosophy students 
where they just, mm-hmm. they just drilled you every day for like 10 hours. And he came back and he was like, I can replay those Republic in the, in the original <laughs> language it was written in. And he's I'm like, like Boris is- Johnson. Yeah. 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 But and he, he is brilliant. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's not brilliant, but yep. the program is what made him do able to do that. Not necessarily. I mean, it was his determination too, but anybody, everybody is capable of so much more than they're doing. They're just not being challenged in yes. my opinion. Yep. Absolutely not. I mean, there's no, there's no incentive. There's no, I mean, so the only people who are challenging themselves are doing it on their own accord, right? right? Why are creators more successful than most other people? I mean, look at YouTubers who are successful. Look at um, Linus Tectives. I like him. Uh, or any of these other creators, PewDiePie, for example. Yeah. Why are they successful? I mean, they could give up at any given moment. They could just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to retire. I'm relaxing. I have my money. But they choose not to. They choose to become more successful. And then they get other people on board that they help out, like the editors or their co-hosts or whatever. And those guys are going to be just as successful because they're willing to put the work into something that they don't really have to do. They have the, the, the personal drive, the motivation to do it. But most people don't, right? Most people are just happy to kind of coast and do nothing and collect government benefits, right? And that's why benefits just don't help anybody because where's the incentive to actually work, right? Right. Well, and if if you're saddled with debt right out of college, you're way less likely to pursue the thing you're actually passionate about, right? So if you're, if you've always wanted to paint, but you owe $150,000 in college debt, maybe you'll do the accountant job for 10 years, but nobody ever stops doing the accountant job once they start, you know? And so I think we had this, like, we had this pandemic for lack of a better term or epidemic um, of people in America who are doing jobs that they don't like because they're enslaved to their debt. They owe so much money. And Mm -hmm. I I think it's a real travesty that we've created a system that's allowed for that to happen. And this is another example of government regulations that were supposed, that were designed to help people get a college education, or or that was the intent. They weren't designed to, that was the intent. And what they ended up doing was drastically inflating the cost of an education because all the colleges and universities knew that the government would foot the bill. And then everybody who graduates is just screwed for the rest of life. It's such a bait and switch crap thing. Uh, and There's it'd be one thing, if the, yeah, it'd be one thing if the education was awesome, but you have, you have people yeah, graduating not- from college and they don't know. Sh- I know I, I had a, you know, I'm grateful for my college education. I, I had a good experience, but if it wasn't for one or two classes that I took, it would have been a total waste of money. Yeah. Like I know someone with an MFA in English, she's got a master's degree in English, right? Yeah. The guy can barely write. What is he learn? I mean, what did he learn? What eight years in college or an MFA, you know, like things like that. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, like you're not doing anything in your life. You're just saddling yourself with debt. And, and it's like, oh, oh, because I have a, a degree. It's like. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Kurt Vonnegut's writing number one best-selling fiction and he's never, he, he, he'd never, never taken an, he never went to college. It's like, yeah. <laughs> if you want to be a writer, just write, you know, just write. Yeah. <laughs> like, just I, speak your mind. There's certain things that require licensing. It's certification, like being a lawyer or a doctor. Yeah. Sure. That's go. Yeah. That makes sense. But if you, want to, even, yeah. if you want to own a business, why the hell are you going to business school? Like all yeah, the great business leaders business. dropped out. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. Look at, look at Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates. I know they're bad people, but still it's like, they're good idols. Do, to do you think they're bad people? Do you think Mark and um, Bill are actually bad individuals? I don't think Mark is a bad individual. I think Bill is. Why? Uh, I don't necessarily so, disagree. I just, I'm really curious. To right. Okay. You're this. curious as to why. Yeah, uh, yeah. So let's, let's, let's dissect them first. So Mark Zuckerberg, I think, you know, they're both, you know, they're both very um, uh, utopian, right? And when yeah. you're, you, you're in a position of power where you are able to affect the world around you in, in the way that they do, 
it's kind of hard not to be utopian. You know, Jack is a utopian. Uh, you know, uh, Warren Buffett's a utopian. They're all they all have different views, but the way that I see it is that you know. Um, with Zuckerberg, you know, yeah, there are some bad things that, that his company has done. But in general, if you listen to him speak, I mean, he is protecting people's privacy, which is interesting, you know, like compared to Google, for example, Google is more than happy to just mine everything that you put out there, right? They are selling it to the highest bidder. They don't care if it's a Chinese government or if it's a spy agency, they just do it. Facebook is is a bit better about it. And they are also a bit better about the whole free speech thing. Uh, you know, uh, Google will just outright ban you. Facebook will ask questions first. They have a process right. for it because it's 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 not completely politicized, right? And it's not like Twitter, where Twitter will instantly ban you for any reason. Well, and the and difference you, the difference is that on Facebook, you're primarily interacting with your actual network, whereas yeah. on Twitter, you're primarily interacting with people you've never met. Right? It's parasocial stuff. Yeah, I think parasocial. hardly anybody I personally know follows me on Twitter. But right. obviously, when I post on Facebook, it's it's my cousins, it's my family, it's yep. college friends. So so you're much less likely to be reported by your real network because they know you. But strangers yep. don't give a damn about you, and so yeah, it's they don't, such yeah. more. It's a much more combative inverse. Yep, and you know, I think Zuckerberg has talked about how he wants to keep Facebook more family oriented, more close knit, right, more social. Right. Versus that's the reason why he got rid of the newsfeed, right? Remember, you used to have a newsfeed, and they would put Trump, 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 Trump every single day. Well, he yeah. got rid of that because he realized that this was actually making people really fucking negative, right? It was making yeah. people hate their neighbors, hate their families, and it was like we don't want this. You know, we ran an experiment for like two months. We only put negative news and politics in people's timelines and see how they behaved. And sure enough, they became really negative people, right? They started hating their families. They cut people off. So he got rid of that. And smart move, right? Obviously, it hurt a lot of journalists, you know, because we are dependent on Facebook as our bread and butter for our traffic. But I need to sneeze. Go ahead. (coughs) You're supposed to sneeze into your arm, but I'm like, fuck it. Anyway. Bless, Bless you. Thank you. So, you know. That's what he said. Whereas, so that, I don't think he's a bad person. I mean, you know, I'm like on the fence. I don't think he's a good guy, right? But I don't yeah. think he's well, like a bad you gotta person. Keep, people always yeah. forget that everything changes when you go from being a private company to answering to a board. And this happened to Steve Jobs, yep. right? I, Apple totally, yep. the board fucked it up. No, like Ayn Rand famously said, nobody makes statues of committees, right? <laughs> committees always fuck it up, <laughs> right? And so, yeah. so do, yeah. and, and the same thing happened with, with, with Zuck, right? Like Facebook was awesome like 10 years ago it was so cool it goes public and now all of a sudden you're you're answering to the board members shareholders you know there's there's concern about pr in a big way because it it affects share price in a way that it didn't when it was a private company and things Mm -hmm. changed and same with jack too like i I am not a fan of twitter censorship i think it is the, the the closest thing to to fascism without being fascism. I don't want to be one of those people that just throws that word around because fascism yeah, right. is actually a real thing. That's terrible. That thing. We're not really yeah. there yet in my opinion, but we do approach. And, um, uh, but, but people think it's, it's all Jack's fault or it's all Zuck's fault. And it's really, no, it's, it's the committee. committee. Yeah. 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 So and you can see that in the stuff they say, even it, it, it was like, why did Trump get banned? Well, it wasn't Jack who decided that it was right. one tenth of the company as a committee. Right. They right. decided that they were going to, you know, like boycott the company or talk shit about it unless he was banned. And when you have one tenth yeah. of the company threatening to revolt and not work, that's an issue. Right. So why do you think Bill Gates is evil? Um, because he has no concern about the well-being of people. He well, he says that he does. And, and, and you know, in a, in a generic sense, he does. But he doesn't relate to people in a way that 
affects their day-to-day lives. You know, this is yeah. a guy who, uh, for example, here's something that he actually did. It's not some conspiracy theory. He gave mosquito nets to uh, some place in Africa. You know, I forget where. Maybe it was Ethiopia. Maybe it was uh, it was some place where they have a lot of malaria. Right, a lot of people mm-hmm. are dying there. So he gave them mosquito nets, and the mosquito nets were like these high-tech ones that had like um, they were laced with poison. Okay, they're laced with poison. Now his lack to kill of the mosquitoes. Right. Yeah, they kill mosquitoes, and they're very effective if you use them that way, right? Yeah, but, if, but, but they kill babies realize, too. <laughs> they kill babies too because they were using that to catch fish. Uh, because, you know, it's in Africa, right? I mean, everything yeah. is going to be multi, multi-purpose. I didn't realize right? that that happened, but, so, but that, that, he didn't do that on purpose. He just, that was out no, of No, it wasn't on purpose. Yeah, yeah but he, this, is, this is the problem with him, right? He doesn't think about the long-term ramifications. He's just thinking as an elite what he would do with a mosquito net. Well, it's a mosquito net. used to catch mosquitoes, duh. You know, right. like he doesn't think, well, you know, I'm a poor person. I'm going to use a mosquito net to catch fish because I don't have a real net, right? He's not thinking like that. He, he's, he's out of touch. And that's what makes him a bad person because everything that he does, whether it is, you know, uh, vaccine passports or, or whatever, you know, like any, any initiative that he takes – is going to impact people negatively because he doesn't think about the unintended consequences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He doesn't think like people. And then he gets upset obviously because it just backfires. Right. And so he's like a bad person in the sense that he's actually causing like a net bad to happen in the world versus like a net good. Right. But, but he's not, he's not bad in the sense that you don't necessarily think that he's behind stuff. He's well that, (laughs) that, or he's behind COVID and he's got so much. No, 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 absolutely not. This is bullshit, right? That's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. There's no evidence for it. First of all, there's no evidence for it. It's just people throwing out names and like, Oh, Warren Buffett's behind this or Bill Gates is behind this or Rothschild's behind this. Like where's the evidence? You know, you can't just show me a YouTube video and claim it's evidence. It's not, you know, it's so tangential if anything. Yeah. So no, Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So, um, I'm just thinking about the phenomena that is people always assuming that somebody with a lot of money is behind it. I wonder why we feel that way. Uh, uh, I've thought about this, actually. I think that the reason why is because it gives them godlike status and it makes it seem as if we don't have any means to fight back. Because if we have to admit that we are the ones with the real problems, that we have issues that need fixing then, well, we have to confront our own demons and we don't want to do that. They're scary to us, right? Yeah. We are more interested in fighting external realities or externalities, I guess, uh, because you know it, it makes more sense to have a boogeyman out there. It's like uh, with feminism and the patriarchy or intersectional feminists and the patriarchy. They're fighting against this hidden monster that's in, you know, that, that's, that runs the system, that runs the world governments. It's the same thing there. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. The patriarchy does not exist. It's more like a collection of individuals are out for themselves who, you know, benefit their, themselves in ways that maybe um, put others at a disadvantage. Sure, you can talk about oppression in, in that regard, but there is no overwhelming force, much like, you know, uh, when the right wing talks about um, billionaires controlling the world, or elites. It's, it's more like we don't want to deal with our own problems. We don't want to deal with the fact that the politicians we elect are corrupt. We don't want to deal with the fact that legislation isn't enforced. We don't want to deal with the fact that, um, you know, uh, there are things that we can do in our daily lives that can make the world a better place that we just kind of refuse to do. You know, we're always putting, it, putting the blame on somebody else. I mean, if you live in, a, uh, in Palestine, for example, right? Uh, maybe not Palestine, but Gaza. There's no such place as Palestine. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you live in Gaza. 
You're going to blame everything, not on Hamas, not on the people you, that you put in power. You're going to blame it on, on Israel, right? You're going to say right. that the Jews are the reason for, for all the bad things that are happening to us. Why are the, why are the buildings falling down? Oh, because the uh, Israelis fired rockets, the idea of fired rockets at us. Well, why did they fire rockets? That's not a question anyone is willing to ask, right? right? It's always like that. And it's always easier to blame other people, externalities that you have just no control over. That way you can feel oppressed. I mean, you know, like it, it puts yourself in a slave mindset. And I, I'm sure, you know, Malcolm X has talked about this, I think. And uh, it's like if you view yourself as a slave rather than as a free man, then everything is just a, a, a way to be oppressed. You know, you're always yeah. caught in this, this constant. Well, and you never have to deal with the shame. Oppressed. You never have to deal with the shame of failure. Yep. You know, if you blame somebody else because your business went under or your marriage fell apart, you, psychologically, it's, that's the shortcut. But yep. in, in sort of a Jordan Peterson-esque um, perspective, the only way to actually be happier and better is to face the dragon within rather than try to blame some external foe without. And, you know, this is true for me, too. I have a tendency to think everything is the, like the Marxist fall, the critical, you know, I, I see, I see opposition yeah. as like a, as a movement, but I don't blame it for my failures or my unhappiness. I just see it as terrible for the, for everyone's long-term outcome, you know? And yeah. I, and I, right. I think there's, I think that, you know, if we can find a way to get back to a culture of personal accountability and, yep a genuine desire to know what is true rather than reinforce what we already believe to be true, then um, we'll be much closer to solving our problems. Yeah. We have to address the truth, right? We have to address yeah. the facts, the reality, no matter how hard it is, right? If it's really hard, that means it's true, right? And, and this is the issue with a lot of people is that they're unwilling to ask the hard questions. They're unwilling to tackle the hard issues. They want to take the, the shortcuts, the easy answers to blame other people for it. Oh, why is the, uh, um, why am I broken bankrupt? Well, it's because, uh, you know, communists are ruining my life. It's like, well, no, they're really not. They're not really doing right. anything to you. Or the capitalists are ruling, ruining right. my life. It's like, no, they're not. No one's doing that but you. You choose not to work. You choose to stay at home and collect welfare checks and you're blaming capitalism for it. It's like, well, that's not how it works. I mean, that's not reality. Like, look at all these other people who are not collecting welfare checks, who are out there working for themselves, and they are elevating their positions in life because they're willing to slog through a year of minimum wage to earn their training and yeah. get promoted. I mean, when I see a person who's like in their 30s and still earning minimum wage, I do not feel sorry for them. I don't yeah. think, oh, they should be paid more. No, absolutely not. This is like a temporary job. It's for 18-year-olds. You know, you have the training... Where is your ambition to become more than just a, a, uh, a grocery store clerk? I mean, do yeah. something more in your life. Become a manager, for God's sakes. You know, it's not that hard to attain seniority, you know, but you right. choose to do the, the easy job because it's safe to you. It's pathetic. Well, well and, and we see this a lot from the left, too, because their platform is so conducive to lying about what's possible. So over the last 50 years, they have constantly reinforced the idea that there is the oppressed and the oppressor and yep. they, it is, it is not good for Democrat candidates to have constituents who believe the American dream is possible. If yep. they can convince people that the American dream is impossible, they can get elected. They can push their, their policies through uh, in a much better way. And the, the tragedy of that is that the American dream is still possible. It may, it, be get, it may be getting harder. It is still possible, but it's absolutely impossible if you don't believe it's possible. 
You know, like I, I I went to college to be uh, an audio engineer. I thought I wanted to make records. I wanted to be a producer. And, um, I met my, my dad went to college with, um, um, a very successful award-winning, uh, producer who lived in Nashville when I was in college. And I met with him in a studio and it was really cool. I got to sit in on one of the sessions and learn from him and ask him questions. Um, and Mm -hmm. they were working on some records that were going to be hit records and they ended up being hit records. And it was such an awesome experience. And I asked the guy, I asked him, uh, what does it take to make it in this business? He said, listen, so if you want to be a producer, you absolutely can, but you can't do it. If there's anything else in the world that you would be content doing. Yeah. It is. He's it like, it's so, he's like, it, yeah. yeah, you have, it has to be the only way that you're willing to live. <laughs> and at that point, yeah. that was kind of when I was like, wow, maybe I shouldn't be a producer then because I like this, but I don't mm-hmm. love it to the extent that I need to love it in order to actually do think the way you need to think to, to come up with creative solutions, to get in the industry and to do, to do better. And that's true. That's becoming true of the American dream. Everything too. I mean, like, let's say you want to become a YouTuber, right? Yeah. You cannot be content with your daily job editing news articles like I do, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like my daily job. You cannot be content with that job. You must see that job as a sort of a, not even a stepping stone, but as something that, that you're just using to get by where your your real goal has to be set on your creative pursuit. Otherwise it's not going to happen because you're going to tell yourself, well, you know, I got my daily job. It pays fine. And I love my job. It's fine. And it's okay. So I don't need to do this because it pays well enough, you know? And, and so that dream will never take off. You know, yeah. if you do try YouTube, you're going to half-ass it. You're going to be we, like, well, I don't need to put out a, a video today. You know, like I, I've got my daily job. It pays well. It's like, you can't think like that. You have to go all in. Absolutely. And, and you see this over and over again with historical examples um, of, of the greats, right? So if you look at Jim Morrison of the Doors, there's like no way he was going to do anything other than be an awesome rock singer. Yeah, or, right. Or, or famous artists or, fa- or, or Hemingway, for example, like nobody was going to hire Hemingway. But damn, right. could he write about the war, you know? And, yeah, right. And it, it, it's 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 something to aspire to. And I know that people think that it's reckless, and it certainly is. If you have a lot of sure. debt from college and you have a family to support, it's reckless. But it's yeah. also it's you you. I believe that you have to you have to first love yourself and be loyal to yourself before yeah. love or loyalty means anything from you. Yeah. Right. So like, if you don't love right. yourself, but you like, if my wife didn't love herself, for example, her, her yeah. love, then would she love you? Yeah. It wouldn't mean shit to yeah. me. Right. And so it, right. it, and this, this, this commitment to oneself is not selfish. It's not something you do at the expense of others. It's, it's actually good for everybody because you're, you're becoming yes. a better individual. You think of selfishness as a virtue, right? Yeah. Think of it as a virtue because right. you loving yourself and respecting yourself means that you are able to respect and love other people the same way you do yourself. Right. Exactly. And so, uh, um, I guess my point is that anybody or culturally any individual, um, who's denying themselves the life Mm -hmm. they really want to live, um, is actually committing probably the biggest mistake of their life in a small way every day. You know, it's a sin to not achieve your full potential. I think it is a waste of, and I'm not a religious person, but if you want to yeah. put it in religious terms, you could say that God gave you a gift and you squandered it, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He gave you the ability to speak, to, 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 to be entertaining, whatever, you know? And you chose to do a life of menial labor, for example. Not, not, a, not that menial labor is bad, mind you. It can be really, really good and even artistic, like carpenter, uh, carpentry, for example, right? But yeah. l- let's just say that's not your calling. Why are you doing that? What, because it's easy for you? I mean, stacking, stacking shelves is easy for you? I mean, that's... 
it's sad, you know, it's not yeah. even like, I'm not even looking down on these people. I'm just saying it's sad, you know, it's sad yeah. to let your life be turned into uh, autonomous work. It's like that scene from uh, Good Will Hunting. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, yeah, it's a good uh, movie. Remember when uh, toward the end, um, Matt Damon's talking to Ben Affleck at the construction site. And he's like, yep. you know, I'm going to do this the rest of my life and we're gonna take our kids to T-ball together. And Ben Affleck was like, if, if you do that, I'll kick your ass, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's an insult to all of us who don't want to be is. here that you could be anything you want. Mm-hmm. And you're, 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 you're content to do this. It's like, yep. go be you do what you're best at. And yep. the funny, and I, I was talking to a friend about this. who's a friend of mine about this. Um, uh, uh, his name's Andrew Stern. He's on Twitter. Um, He's starting, mm-hmm. he's a brilliant software uh, engineer and, and musician, and he's starting a, um, a company mm-hmm. to build some uh, audio plugins and hardware uh, for musicians. Nice. And I said, yeah. listen, man, I was like, because he, he's a perfectionist. He's like, how do mm-hmm. I do this? How do I do this? I was like, listen, b- business and life, in my opinion, is it's like checkers. Like yeah. you move diagonally, but always forward you know? Right. And yeah. so like when I started my business in 2016, um, I, I run an advertising business. Um, mm-hmm. I, everything I did then is completely different than what I do now with my business, but I had to take the first step in order to know where to pivot, where to pivot, where to pivot. Right. And it's like, you just have to do it. You don't have to know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know exactly. You got to feel it out, right? I don't know yeah. what the outcome is going to be of this, this podcast. I'm just going to hustle sure. it, man, because my, yeah. I, like I want to, doing? and I yeah. know that something's going to manifest. I just have faith in it. Um, so, right. so yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Because if you don't do it, then, you know, it's like it's a Wayne Gretzky quote that is on The Office, right? You, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. <laughs> Michael Scott. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love that quote. I mean, it makes it makes perfect sense. It makes sense for dating. It makes sense for any job that you take, any risk you take. If you yeah. don't take that risk, then, well, it's not going to happen. So it's not going to materialize, is it? You can't will it into, into happening. A lot of people right. do this thing called manifesting. And it's like, are you actually doing anything though? No, you're not. Yeah, yeah. You're just sitting so there hoping something that's, happens. That's the that's big trick with the whole secret thing, right? You know, yeah, the, secret, the, yeah. the will it thing. So I'm opposed to any sort of superstitious understanding of how the universe will, will, bury, will bring gifts to your door, okay? Yeah. However... If you think about what you want every day and you write yeah. it down, mm-hmm. it is way more likely to happen. So oh, yeah. it's not because the you're magic. actually making moves, right? Yeah. You're actually not doing the, things to make yeah, it it's happen. Not the force. Yeah. You're not moving the yeah. remote with the force. It's like you decided that you wanted to move the, the, the remote control. And so you got your ass off the couch yeah. and you moved it. Like that's what's going to happen. Yeah. If, if you start thinking about what your goals are and what you want, you're going to start doing the small things that lead to the big outcomes. But it's like in the Bible, it says God helps those who help themselves, right? And that's right. exactly what that means. You have to help yourself. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen, right? It's yeah. not going to work by itself. Right. And there are like a million parables with this in every different culture. Every different religion has something where, you know, a, a man is like starving to death and he asks for his divinity to, uh, to give him food. And then, you know, a fisherman comes along, tries to teach him how to fish. He's like, no, no, I'm going to pray to God, you know, and, and the God's right. going to, you know, he's hoping God will just drop a fish in his lap. Doesn't happen, right? And then another man comes along and says, I can teach you how to farm. He's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Eventually just fucking dies, okay? Yep. Just starves to death. It's like, well, and then he goes to heaven or, you know, he goes and confronts God or, or whatever, right? And, and, and he's like, why didn't you help me? I prayed to you. I was really pious. You know, I believed in you. It's like, who do you think those three people I set are, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The opportunities so. that you refuse to take, that's what, you know, that's 
what defines you. I think my whole life has been completely defined by the opportunities that I chose to take. There are some I, I missed, maybe on purpose even, because I had to wait certain things, right? But my life wouldn't be where it is if I did not take chances. Speaking of, what are your, what are your goals over the next couple of years? Um, I would like to do a YouTube channel. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've done one before and it was moderately successful, you know, so I can certainly do it again. I don't see why not. And now, you know, I'm, I got, I won't say more free time necessarily, but my uh, head is in a much better space. You know, I moved into yeah. my new house, right? Yeah. It looks fantastic. And uh, uh, I'm, I, I want to do more work. I want to, you know, speak more. I want to do more talking. And I think uh, it's not because I want to be more relevant. It's just, I have a lot to say, you know, I have yeah. a lot to say and, you know, people want to hear from me. So why not? You know? Well, that's great. I'll certainly be, um, be uh, continuing to follow you. And I really appreciate you uh, taking yeah. the time to, to do this with me. I know that uh, as I'm a stranger and yeah, you, um, or, uh, stranger. Did this, but yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was really, really fun talking to you. I really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. Yeah. Likewise. It was fun. I mean, let's do this again. You know? Yeah. Why let's not? do it again. And if you ever, um, if you ever decide you're going to start your own podcast, think of me and I'll, I'd be happy to come on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night and good luck.